Hello there, thank you so much for downloading this latest episode of Bees Pod. Myself and Mem recorded this show ahead of deadline day and the signing of David Tarpey. Perhaps Mem was looking into his crystal ball at the time as his wishes seem to have been answered. Before we get this show on the road, uh, this Sunday we're delighted to release the first episode of our interview series, and you can catch it in all the usual places on iTunes and SoundCloud. But for now, back to the present day, and we really hope you enjoy this show. Okay, well, welcome to uh, this episode of Beast Pod. Uh, I'm Ian, and I'm joined uh, this evening by Mem. How are you today, Mem? Yeah, good, thanks. Um, we're recording tonight after uh, Barnett's uh, defeat against AFC Wimbledon uh, in the Checker Trade Trophy. Uh, we were planning on going, but we didn't quite manage to make it up uh, due to work commitments. Uh, so we're instead going to sort of spend a bit of time talking through uh, the past few weeks. Um, our hardcore, uh, long-suffering listeners will remember that our previous show was uh, recorded after the Luton game, uh, a 1-0 victory that seems uh, quite a while ago. Um, and since then, we've had uh, four consecutive defeats, uh, each by um, the odd goal. Um, and I guess before we sort of dig any deeper, men, what do you think uh, has changed? Uh, or Has anything changed? What has changed uh, in this sort of two or three week period uh, since our last show? Well, we had three games of uh, three very tight games, and then it's gone a bit mad tonight. So, uh, you know, um, <laughs> I suppose that in all three games that there's been a common thread right running right through the three games. It's it's been a lack of goals, but it's also been we've been quite tight at, at our end. So, I would say that tonight seems a bit it seems to be very different to what's been happening before that. Um, there has been some there's been some common themes. Um, I feel that um, Akpa Akpro, after a promising start, has gone back to the kind of form that he had um, last season when he was, you know, coming off the bench. It um, was playing off, off the bench a lot. Coulter's a lot of the same issues he's been over the first, but the beginning of the season, um, same problems with creativity. Um, and I think also there's I've no I've spotted signs of lack of experience as well um, within the team over the over that period. So a kind of recurring kind of I guess a conglomeration then of a few things that have caused us to to lose a few games. And um, there's certainly been some quite strong reactions. But let's start with a, a positive, albeit a defeat. Um, the one nil loss at Brighton uh, in the Carabao Cup um, a week on Tuesday ago. Uh, you, I think, went to that game, did you not, um, Mem? I did. I did. Really enjoyed it. It was good fun. There's a you know lots of singing and. Uh, it was a good atmosphere amongst the Barnet fans, um, and we had a really good performance as well. To um, you know, we were really unlucky that night. Really unlucky. I mean, just take us through that game then, because we, you know, it was another one nil defeat, but we had several really good chances to to get on the score sheet. And by all accounts, including Brighton fans, we were the stronger team. If if not, um, quite unlucky not to win that game. Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we started. Um, I mean, what's been a a real. Um, Sort of noticeable thing about this, this season has been Rossi's uh, flexibility in in changing the changing the tactics, changing the the formation, and, and we lined up against Brighton in what looked on paper to be like a super defensive five four one with Akpro Ak playing off the left side. But actually, it turned um, it was it was a it was a very well thought out because Brighton likes to spread the ball wide and they like to play from. Um, make the pitch as wide as possible. So what we essentially did was we knew that the, the attack wasn't coming down the centre. So we just had 
we doubled up down the sides and we were we were strong through the centre. Um, so I mean, for the first I would say half an hour, uh, hour, Brighton was dominant with the ball, but what we were very good at was getting the ball and then really um, being quite incisive. And we were very unlucky um, uh, not to get a goal in the first half. And then Brighton hit a goal in 55 minutes. And then I, th I think a lot of people thought, OK, that's it, floodgates are open. But actually, we were lit. We were battering them. Uh, it was the football we were playing. Wesley Fongook looked like a player so much more experienced than what he was. Him and Jack Taylor, two 19-year-olds, were dominating the midfield. Getting the ball out wide and, and just the goal just wouldn't come and... You know, JCR should have scored. It was really frustrating. So it was a really valiant display uh, in isolation. Uh, but then, but then, obviously, leading into Stevenage game, which I'm sure we'll touch on, there was some there were some themes. It's, it's interesting you mention that because um, you talked about Fonga and Taylor there, um, who uh, by all accounts had an excellent game against Brighton. Going into that that dreaded Stevenage game, then the one nil defeat against a side who were playing with 10 men for the majority of the match. One of the things I saw you touch upon in your analysis was, was sort of Fongook's, I guess, lack of experience. Um, just, just talk me through specifically with him. What, what do you think was the issue in that Stevenage game? Why weren't we able to take advantage of that one man? Was it a case of um, just similar sort of profligacy in front of goal? Was there something more problematic with, with how he approached that game um, after the sending off and even beforehand? No, what, what happened was, and this was actually because um, before Stevenage, um, before they went down to ten men, they were they were very dominant, and there's nobody in the ground could could argue that the Stevenage were dominant. But the way that Stevenage played was actually very similar to Brighton, um, in that the ball came and it was con the kind of way they worked was they were trying to do almost like a square shape, ball goes square, goes down the wings, and then they were trying to cross the ball in from the sides. So if you imagine you know imagine the pattern play being like a square. But what will happen is we'd adjusted our shape from the Brighton game, where in Brighton we just had two centre midfield players, but we were playing with three in a kind of tr in a in a kind of up um, uh, rotated triangle with Fongook at the base, JCR and Jack Taylor in front. So what was happening was is Fongook is standing there in tons of space the whole like the whole period that that Stevenage had eleven players, and literally was twiddling his thumbs because the ball. Wasn't that they were literally moving the ball in and around JCR and Jack Taylor, and they were double, and they were basically outnumbering them a lot, kind of deeper in the midfield. And what was happening was Fong Gook was far too deep. Now, there's a combination of Fong Gook's inexperience and also potentially some of the leadership from the back, because playing in a back three, you didn't need Fong Gook to be sitting in front of them when the ball was clearly coming down the sides. So I didn't understand why I know that none of the none of the more one of the more experienced players said to him. Go in there and, and, and go in there and make that triangle, squish that triangle a little bit more and go in there and, and, and work with Jack and JCR. But he sat there for a good 25 minutes um, just doing nothing and the ball was just coming down the sides. So it was it was really noticeable. So there was that, that you know, that tactical switch in that game against Stevenish didn't work. But then as soon as we went down to 10 men, uh, they were Stevenish went down to 10 men. Then the game opened up and they backed off and we just basically, it was, it was wave after wave of attacks. Um, and we patiently moved the ball. And I thought we moved the ball, you know, we were moving the ball very uh, considered um, and very accurately. But come to the final third and they're just, the cutting edge was really lacking. 
balls were floated into the box. There was none of these balls where, um, I think Andy Gray calls it that corridor of uncertainty where you whip a ball into an area and and if the, and it, all it takes is a touch from a defender or an attacker. But the problem is, is when you put the ball so floaty in the box, it's so easy for a goalie to come and get or a defender to get his head on it. So it was the quality, really lacking quality in that game, in that Stevenage game. Um and there was a similar sort of theme in Brighton, but at least in Brighton, some of them were coming off. But in Stevenage, it was so frustrating, especially against 10 men. It's interesting because one of the things I saw you, you touch upon in your um, sort of, I think it was on Twitter, was um, that sort of famous, uh, not really quote, but sort of analogy by, by Pep Guardiola when he was at Barcelona. He talked about you know, the importance of real structure and discipline on and off the ball in the first two thirds. And then the final third is sort of allowing, you know, creative players to um, kind of do their thing. So your Messi's, Henri's, Ibrahimovic, etc. Do you think that what what do you see Rossi's game plan as being in that final third? Do you, is there anything about the movement of, of sort of? I know you're quite a big fan of Coulthard's movement. Do you think there's any sort of structure to what we're doing there, or is there any any sort of need for perhaps some patterns of play around the opposition's penalty area, or do you think it's just a case of of individual players making poor decisions at, at the wrong time, perhaps due to lack of experience? Yeah, no, um, it, it's true what you're saying. I mean, it's quite clear that. What we want to do as a team is we want to um, we want to basically own the ball. So we want, when we get on, into possession, we want to get the ball. We want to get into possession and we want to pin teams back. And we want them to basically, when the ball comes out, we press them. Uh, we press them hard when they've got the ball in their, deep in their half. And we want, to, we, want to press, uh, we want to win the ball high up the pitch. But what seems to be happening is in that final third... Players are making poor decisions. Um, this is Division 2, okay? Trying to play little 1-2s on the edge of the box. Yeah, it might come off, but you've got to remember this, that the quality of the of, the, of our players, we're not playing with Messi's and Henri's and Neymar's on the edge of the box where they can play little flicks on the edge of the box and put, like, put you in Ivan Needle stuff. So in this league, the key to it is, is you want to keep the ball, get into the final third... But then you want to be putting in dangerous balls. You want defenders to be under pressure because as soon as you put a defender under pressure, they make rash decisions. They'll push somebody out of the way, concede a penalty. What they'll do is stick their leg out in the ball and put it in their own net. But the problem we're doing is we're not asking questions. Uh, we're not asking enough questions of defenders, and we're making it far too easy. The game is being played in front of them um, far too much. And there was so many little combinations when um, with Amaluza came on. I remember Akinola came on and they were trying to do these little combinations on the edge of the box. It was very slow and very deliberate. And it was very, um, I don't wish to be brutal to our players, but they're just not of that quality that they can be playing stuff through the eye of a needle. In, in, in moments, yes, but they were, they were trying to force it far too much when simply getting the ball, getting two guys out wide, and whipping balls across the box. You don't need to have tons of goal scorers in your team um, if you're putting in quality deliveries because players can just get on the end of stuff and just pile the box, you know, pile into the box. You 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 work all week to you work on all week on how to create overloads across the pitch. And we already had an overload because they were the ten men. So you didn't have to worry about overloading it anymore. You just need to worry about using that extra man advantage and getting good quality deliveries. And that's what I was trying to get across to people I was talking to on Twitter. So it didn't. It wasn't about passion. It wasn't about desire because we had the ball. It was about using the ball smartly and trying to get good deliveries into the box. And the deliveries were appalling. On the one or two occasions we had good deliveries, we hit the crossbar from Clough. Um, 
we had we had David Tutonda hit the inside of the post because he drew, he drilled a ball across the box. Goalkeeper was put in his own goal. Um, there's a lovely ball played through to Kultust. Um Again, not a nice weighted pass, and he put through, and he should have scored. So where there was quality, we had we almost scored, but we had so much of the possession. I expected far more quality than we than we actually had. It's interesting you mentioned something there, which I just want to touch upon, which is the idea of playing in front of the opposition. I'm just thinking off the top of my head here, so I'm sure someone will correct me if I'm wrong. But it seems that from what I can see of all the goals we've scored this season, so I'm thinking the you know the two at Forest Green, the three at Peterborough. Um, the one at Luton. Um, I haven't seen the ones tonight, so I can't comment. Um, and then, you know, we've had drawn a few blanks. Very few of them have come from sort of balls in behind, as in turning around the defenders. I mean, the only one I can think of is really um, Akpa Akpros on the first day of the season. And even, you know, that was a sort of a rebound. And if we look back, obviously, people are, are lamenting the current loss of Big John. One of the things he does give us is that option, in addition to everything else, of, of being able to just to pop the ball in behind and, and, you know, there'll be a chance that he'll run onto it or he'll he'll win something for us up there. Do you think that with the absence of Big John, we need to do, we need to sort of find a different a different approach? Um, so is this really an issue of, of tactics, do you think, or is it an issue of, of players? Is it or is, is there no real distinction between the two as to why we're not managing to be as, as sort of threatening behind um, or through the lines as, as we have been previously? I think obviously it's different players because um, Agpa Agpro prefers the ball to feet and he drops deep quite regularly. Coulthurst, I get the feeling he kind of wants to go over the top, but he doesn't have, he's he's fast, but he's kind of fast in a Villette sort of way in that he's faster the first 10 yards, but it's not over long periods, which is what John's like. John's like a train. Once he gets going, he's like literally unstoppable. I don't, we have had chances, um, you know, going through one one v one, um, but the thing about the thing about John is that 50-50 balls become seventy five twenty five balls in John's favour because of the, because of his sheer size. Whereas Coulter is a little bit more of a cute, he, he, his movement's a bit cuter than John's, um, and he is looking to link up play. But I just think that Coulter hasn't really settled, and he's and he's uh, his hold up play's been really poor um, since he's been at the club. So, I suppose in answer to your question, it's very difficult. Um, John in his current side would be the difference, but the problem you want, and we've had we've had this conversation before in previous pods, where we've where I've you know we've said that it's not it can't just be about John. We have to have the other players stepping up to the plate and contributing goals, and we are creating chances. We're creating click on chances, and we're just not we're not putting them in. Um, so we can't just we can't just say okay we just need John back in the team because the rest of the team should be stepping up. Um, we've had three games where we've hardly scored in three in the th- last three league games we've scored one goal. It's not I mean, good enough. It, it, it's interesting you mention that because we were we were you know we've touched upon obviously everyone's touched upon John at the moment and a lot of it's reactionary uh, as we said before the show people sort of getting very frustrated very quickly on asking questions of Cleantus and you know James Thorne and, and Rossi and all the usual stuff that happens in a bad run of form. But there are some, I guess, some chasing facts that we, we have to look at. And one of them I, I think is quite interesting is, you know, Barnett have won five times in the last 25 games. Uh, obviously, before tonight, we hadn't scored for, for quite a few. Um, we're missing a lot of injured players, um, which could probably account for the for the sort of little dip we're going through at the moment. But is there, are there any sort of longer-term problems you're seeing at the moment that, that are causing you for concern? I mean, you know, five five wins in 25 clearly isn't good enough. 
you know, a lack of goals without John. I mean, are these are these long term issues or are we just simply going through a bad spell at the moment? Well, the, the, the issue of being the, the issue of relying too much on John has been an actual issue since Martin Allen. Um, but then Martin Allen's always bit, Martin Allen's always built his team around one goal scorer, and then um, and they play for the one goal scorer. That's his staff going back to his original Barnet days, going through Brentford, um, his Brentford days. So. But unfortunately, what's happened is I was hoping that once we had a new manager, we, that that would that re- reliance on John would um, would start to sort of reduce. But in brutal terms, we've got players are not stepping up to the plate when it really counts, um, and not being cool enough in front of goal, um, snatching at things. Um, and to me, there's only two players in the team who are at the moment in the squad who are capable of scoring regularly. One of them's uh, John, and the other one's Weston. And Curtis has got a decent goal-scoring record from midfield. We don't miss Curtis when it comes to creating chances because that's not his game, and we've talked about it. Curtis is, he's got his best, um, plays his best football when he's ghosting in uh, from deep in like a kind of Lampard role. And we are desperately missing the two of them because without the two of them, we don't have much of a goal threat. Um I know that um, Rossi has actually stated in an interview that he was hoping he want well he was not hoping he has told J- um, Jamal Campbell Rice that he expects double figures from him. Um, but the issue is is this: if we keep on with this this group of players, okay, it doesn't matter how individually how well they play. If if neither of them are starting to score, we are going to have to start replacing players. And they might feel a bit hard done by in that they are playing well. But collectively as a team, we have to we have to get more goals out of somewhere. So it, you, we may find that, that Rossi and, you know, with James Thorne might identify players to replace players that, we've, that we're thinking are really good players. But the fact of the matter is, if you've got, you know, a midfield three and between them, they might have, you know... By Christmas, only scored like five goals. That's just not good enough. So we need to find a way of getting more goals in the team. And it may mean that popular players might start losing their place because they just don't contribute enough goals. I mean, it's interesting. You talked there about James Thorne identifying uh, new recruits. That's something that uh, a lot of people are saying he hasn't done very well uh, in the past few months. I mean, one of the things I want to just touch upon um, before we just have a quick chat about recruitment is our youth players. Um, and again, I saw today people talking on Twitter about um, Ryan Watson, um, you know, and, and even Dan Sweeney, who are kind of, I guess, university across the fan base. You know, we're not going to be too sad if we if we see them go. Um, and I was just thinking about this and wondering, you know, is that is that fair? I mean, do we do we perhaps have um, slightly rose tinted glasses on when we're looking at some of our, our younger players? Uh, you know, is the reality that players like, you know, Harry Taylor, um you know, Fonguk, uh, Nanakiai, Shomerton, etc. I mean, are they are they actually up to the job? And you know, if we brought them in, say from another side, say like you know Watson from from Leicester, will we be giving them as as much um, sort of you know leeway and understanding for their performances that haven't quite been as consistent as we like? So, I guess the question is, are we are we overselling um, you know our our kind of youth uh, team in order to compensate for perhaps some some poorer recruitment elsewhere? No, I don't think so. I actually think I'm very, um, I've been very impressed with the players. And I think the key, the difference is, is that maybe the skill set between a Ryan Watson and a Wesley von Gook, maybe Ryan Watson has got, maybe in certain areas is better, better in certain things. 
but because these guys have come up through our system, they know we have been quite consistent across our age groups. So they understand how to play. And it's really noticeable that, that this team is the most organised team I've seen in a long time at Barnet. Okay? Even under Martin Allen, we'd go to games and play away and we could sometimes get collapsed and lose 4-0, even under Martin Allen. So with Martin Allen, it's a bit more extreme. We win or we lose. Um, but we are so hard to break down in terms of um, uh, in terms of people penetrating the back the back five. We are really organised. There's a real plan there. There's tweaks done. Rossi's very smart with his tactical changes. But the problem is, I think at the moment is that um, is that we have currently got probably eleven at the moment a team of, of seven out of ten players, which is um, when realistically at least two, at least three of them players need to be an eight or a nine to take us to for that for this for the team to win matches. All them but all them individually them youth team players that are coming in could come in and they'll do a job and you wouldn't notice a, a drop in the standards. But the problem is with any team is that you must you need to have some magic sprinkled over the top and you need to have some a finish some finishers. And at the moment what we have is that we've just got a team of very equally equal standard players and we're missing the magic of of a really top good top couple of top quality players who can make that difference. I mean, I think that every team in League Two would kill for for a few of those. And I I think before we we move on to perhaps some off field issues, uh, it's it's worth remembering Exeter City, who um, although I think with a slightly higher quality caliber squad than we had, you know, I think up until October when they came and beat us four one, they were struggling in the bottom of the league, missing a lot of. Uh, key players in that season and there's certainly some comparisons to be drawn between um, their situation and ours in terms of key players being out so I certainly think we should sort of hold fire a little bit on our anger towards uh, the management and the infrastructure at the club um, considering we've got so many players out but but I do want to touch upon um, a few things off the field uh, before we look ahead to the next few fixtures I, I've been away for a few weeks uh, in France and Italy and I, I've attended a couple of games um, all of which uh, were cheaper on the day um, than uh, than Barnet. One of them was a Serie A game between Torino and Sassuolo, the other a Nice-Napoli uh, game. And I guess one of the things that was pulled up was this this attendance against Stevenage, the local derby, uh, on Saturday. Some were saying it's a typical order's attendance, you know, there's sort of 1,300 or people. We had quite a good attendance away at Brighton with 600 plus. Um, but other people saying, well, you know, we haven't actually managed to recruit as many new fans to the Hive as we'd like since the move. Um, and a big reason for that is the is the cost of tickets. So I don't want to sort of flog a, a dead horse here, man. But I guess two questions. One, um, do you think we're doing enough to attract new fans to the ground? Uh, and two, do you think that that, that on-day ticket cost uh, is um, sort of an inhibition to, you know, sort of your, your casual fans who may add on in previous years at 100 or 200 when Spurs or Arsenal were away? Well, in previous years, actually, it used to add a lot more than 100, 200. It was just uh, Stan Flashman's uh, dodgy um, uh, accounting that um, that made it look like only 100 or 200. But um, it was it was very poor um, that game, and it, I looked around and I remember just trying to start a song or whatever, and it was just no nobody was singing songs. Partly, I, I looked on my Facebook at some of the people I know who go to Barnet regularly, and a lot of them were on holiday. Um, but I think it was an interesting article. I was reading. There was an interesting post, or a couple of interesting posts on only uh, only Barnet uh, from Barnet Pete, and 
I, I would recommend a few people to uh, to go and have a look at it and to do a search for it under the under the the title of the, the attendance. But he made some really good points, um, and he and he, what he was saying in it um, in in essentially was that even big clubs spend spend time and, and effort on their marketing, um, and yet we don't really have a presence. We don't seem to have a presence anymore in Barnet. Um, like we used to be posters on the on the high street. And it's almost like we've moved out of Barnet and it's almost like we've just taken everything with us and not even attempted to try and keep our presence in Barnet, um, you know, in there. Um, so that's pretty that's pretty sad that we haven't spent any we haven't spent that. I don't know about locally in Harrow, but I've got met when I'm going around. If I sort of stop somewhere in Queensbury, I don't see any Barnet posters on, on the windows, uh, you know, um, I don't really see, apart from the ground, there doesn't seem to be any other sort of reminders that, that Barnet are playing. So, but for me, the most important thing for to get the supporters in the ground is I, I get that £25 is a lot. And my friends have, 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 gone, have said to me, balked at the idea of paying £25. We don't have a TV deal to bump it up. And I don't, working in business... I know that if you take a pound off every person and it's a few hundred and thousand, it's, it adds up. So whether or not we can replace enough supporters if we reduce the price by, you know, I don't know what people want to reduce it by, five, ten pounds, can we replace that revenue somewhere? And it's difficult to do that. But I think the key to it is actually where we will really start to see more people coming in is the team winning. And you can't, we need to go out and get a couple of really two or three really good players to start turning these little tight games into wins, and that's not going to come from you know being you know being tight in the market, being tight, and when we're making bids. I know for a fact I've been told by people in and around the game that we we were really in for we were in hard for a couple of very good players, but just ultimately we just didn't go that that bit further to get to get them the signature on a contract. Um, I think Tony Pianthos was expecting him to sign the contract because he came out and said so in the summer. Um, but ultimately, we, we're making more money at the Hive and I think um, he needs to make a couple of real kind of statement signings and that potentially might start bringing some of the stay-away time if they see some good players coming in um, and at Barnet actually doing some business. Um, but yeah, I've probably not answered your... Th- yeah, probably about 25, but I don't know. Without seeing the books, it's very difficult to know what kind of loss Barnet would make on... The twenty-five pounds, you know, reducing it somewhat because we don't have any other other sort of TV deal, whatever, to to bump, you know, to to help us. Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting one. I, mean, I do think there are there's the business consideration. I think there's also a, a very tiny, uh, you know, businessman like yourself, ethical consideration. I mean, in theory, you, you probably could push the price up to say thirty, for example, and um, and you would still get diehard Barnet fans going. Um, but ultimately, you don't want to shrink the base. You know, too far. So I think there is something beyond pure economics at work here. And I think twenty five pounds uh, for what is pretty been consistently over the last ten years, pretty poor quality football. Um, you know, kind of capping out mid table in League Two uh, is a source of frustration. And I think, particularly if he's coming out and making statements like, you know, you can, yeah, this very strange statement. I, I've, I, you know, I think uh, Clancy's done an excellent job for the club in the long term, but. 
I find his short-term dealing sometimes quite quite odd. And when he comes out and says, well, you can either choose, it's sort of like a sort of a, a petulant uh, school child that I would teach, you know, you can either choose, uh, you know, to pay lots of money and have a really good team or pay no money and have a rubbish team. And in the end, we paid, we paid quite a bit of money and not had the best team. And I don't think we've, we've done particularly well on that. So I think I think there are some valid frustrations without just saying, you know, you don't understand the numbers. And, and I think there's, you know, I think there's some reasonable concerns there. Um, but I guess back onto on some more pressing matters uh, than uh, you know the cost of uh, match day tickets uh, is uh, the games coming up, and, and we've you know we talked very briefly about tonight's game, uh, which which wasn't particularly important uh, as long as we got through it without losing any key players. Uh, a couple of games coming up. I'm going to to Swindon on on Saturday, so we've got I guess we've got Swindon uh, this Saturday, uh, Cambridge at home on the ninth, and then. Uh, extra at home on the 12th so I guess three relatively tricky games Swindon Exeter are up there at the moment playing quite good football um, and Cambridge are always a sort of a good measurement for us to uh, sort of play against w- what are your expectations in those three games um, Mem and you know do you think we're going to struggle to score um, unless we bring in some new players or uh, Western and they come back well I suppose the difficulty is that we don't know what kind of business is going to be done um before the end of the transfer window, and and it's clear that that um, well apparently we've got a signing uh, being announced tomorrow. So uh, I saw that on on Twitter. I think Daniele broke it um, that there is a there is a signing tomorrow. Um, I have seen that we've been linked with uh, a centre midfield player from Crystal Palace, um, which is which if he's better than what we've got, great. But he's not what we need. Um, well, if he's anyone in the first team at the moment, he probably won't be doing that well. I mean, uh, Palace haven't exactly been setting the Premier League apart a lot at the moment. So, yeah, true. But I suppose it is 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 a bit of a jump. You know, it is a bit of a jump. Yeah, no, I'm, um, I'm winding up. Uh, yeah, but I suppose the thing about it is, is that um, realistically, I mean, for us to not really know how we're going to get on, I think we need a, we do need a striker. Uh, some striker is going to take the burden off, and someone who's going to be a threat. Um, because I'm not confident that between Akpak Pro and Kultust that we we have the firepower. Um, Kultust is to me. I don't. I just don't feel that. He, I look at him and I just don't feel he strikes the ball very cleanly. Um, he makes. He's very good moving off the off the ball. He works really hard, but his finishing is um, is very scruffy. And and in contrast, John Louis Akpak Pro he looks very classy and glides around the pitch when he's in the mood but we we seen we not he's not doing it enough for me he's not uh, he's not involved in the play enough um goes for, goes very quiet in in the games i need more output from him so i'm not confident i would imagine that that Brossi will probably go up to uh, swindon flood the midfield try and get a draw to me that would be a good result a nice way draw but the next two home games we have to win no bits or buts about it. Otherwise, the pressure's going to start. Um, and we're going to start scoring some goals uh, because we've scored, what, three goals in four games? In league, four league games? So I think it's three, isn't it? And we've conceded, scored three and conceded three. So, um, or is it more? Four? No, we would have conceded, four. We conceded five, wouldn't we? Conceded four, conceded four. That's it. Two against Forest Green, one against... No, five, because we would have conceded two against Forest Green, one against... Crew one against Stephen Edge, and that's it. So four. There you go. <laughs> there you go, Beast Pod listeners. Uh, maths with it with Ian. <laughs> I'll win um, twenty five pounds for the pleasure. 
<laughs> but um, no, it begins my point. I mean, at the end of the day, to be scoring what less than one goal game is 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 not good enough. We have to start up in it, and we have to we don't, we're going to have to get I think six points from the two home games because otherwise, if you get yourself you start start getting yourself in a bit of a rut. Players are going to start snatching at things. Players are going to start being under pressure and start making stupid mistakes. We've got a young team as well, so um, we need to try and keep the pressure off off the players. Might mean for Rossi to start bringing a couple of the youngsters and putting players with a little bit more experience in the side, just to because um, we can't. We, we, the thing about having young players is that if we go for if we have a little bit of a poor run, we don't want to kill the players' confidence. Still young. Um, we have to we have to really look after him. So, yeah, these next three games are going to be big. So, and I have heard on the grapevine, and I hope it's not true, and I hope it's just somebody um, is 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 making their opinion seem like a little bit more like a bit more serious than it is. But I've heard that Rossi has already been under pressure, put put under pressure by the people above. So, yeah, that, that's so. that's a real shame because I think he, um, if anything, you, you can't really have the run that we've had in League Two since really two. Well, I, I would say since that the playoff season in back in sort of you know early two thousands, late nineties, uh, and blame the manager. I think if anything that that is false, and it'd be a real shame if we once again, due to you know poor injuries, poor recruitment, um, sort of blame the the man in charge or not the man in charge, the man in charge of the first team affairs. Um, I guess the final final thing then, before we, we, we kind of come back and we'll hopefully uh, join up with uh, a couple of others um, over the next few weeks and do a sort of review of the transfer window and, and of the next you know game or so. Um, on uh, what had been I think Monday morning, we had the, or you had the pleasure, I had the pleasure of listening in from my hotel room, uh, but you had the pleasure of interviewing um, a Barnet legend um, who, I, who I didn't see play, but I watched, I've watched all the videos of him uh, when I was growing up um i mean just tell us a little bit about that but before we go and, and kind of why people should have a listen perhaps to um a kind of a new style of show for us yeah are we are we gonna are we i take it we're gonna wait and before we announce who it actually is yeah i mean i think i think by by now most people are having a sort of a bit of a clue but um i mean i i yeah feel free feel free to go ahead and uh and give the people what they want no no i'm gonna i'm gonna wait we're gonna wait till it but until, we'll wait until the pod hits that's bit but let's just put it this way um this player was when I was f- first got into Barnet was the guy that I wanted to be like at uh, on the on the playground. Um, he is proper Barnet legend, proper um, a player that played imagination, influential, um, real character, and some of the stories he told us um, in that pod, uh, you, you, people that you're going to be laughing, seriously, you'd be laughing in your cars, laughing on your, you know, on the tube as you listen to the pod, because he's, t- he was, he played in, in the Barry Fry team, that classic Barry Fry team. And some of the stories he's got of Barry Fry are brilliant. Um, and we could probably, we could have, we could have chatted for ages and ages and ages. He had so many stories to tell. So, Make sure you download it when it uh, when it when we when it hits. Well, well, let's hope people are uh, as happy and uh, enjoying listening to that as much as they are uh, going to be enjoying our performances over the next few weeks. Um, Mem, thanks so much for joining us this evening, and um, you know, I guess we'll be keeping a very close eye on on both the transfer window and the upcoming fixtures. Um, but until Naya, next time, Mem, thanks. Uh, thanks very much. All right, thanks, Ian.
thank you so much for listening. As ever, you can catch us on SoundCloud and iTunes for the remainder of the season. And a quick reminder that our first ever interview series episode comes out this Sunday. It's a great first show and we really think you'll like it. So make sure you download it. It should come out naturally on iTunes and we'll push it over SoundCloud as well. Thanks again uh, for all of your support. And as ever, if there's anything at all you'd like to hear on the show, please do get in touch. Uh, But for now, thank you and come on you beats. Thank you.